0: This is the XC Podcast. My name is Michael Doyle. What the hell is this? Yeah, I know you're asking yourself that. It's something new. We're trying something new here. Uh, Myself, a group of other interested individuals who uh, like to write and think, or I guess think and then write about the culture and sport of running are going to be pushing out a weekly and sometimes more than weekly uh, newsletter called The XC, that's T-H-E-X-E. If you're listening to this, you probably found it because you probably found it through the newsletter. Someone maybe forwarded it to you. Thank you to that person who forwarded it to you. Be sure to subscribe if you've not subscribed already. It will show up in your inbox every week. We're going to build a schedule out. It will become something that you can anticipate, that you can look for on a regular basis. We're going to hit certain notes. It's going to be kind of specific. It's going to be very opinionated. You may not agree with everything that we write about, which I think is actually a really good thing and kind of a needed thing in the running world. Uh, a, a little bit more conversation, opinion, maybe the odd hot take. I think it's needed. I think it's time. So we're doing it. And if, if you like what we've got to say, let us know. If you don't like what we've got to say, please let us know. Uh, if you disagree with it, disagree with it and tell us about why you disagree with it. So You can actually just respond to the newsletter, which is really a a really cool feature uh, of this newslettering service. So you can find it at thexc.substack.com. Substack Substack is a newsletter platform. It's really focused on creating that platform for niche subject matter, which obviously this sort of fits that bill perfectly. So we thought we'd give uh, Substack a try. It's been great so far. We've got uh, one issue... For Real Out, uh, a great feature story written by Alex Sear, all about the latest unusual figure in the marathon running scene, Roy Linkletter, who is a Canadian living in the U.S., trains with Naz Elite, uh, that Hoka project down in Northern Arizona in Flagstaff. Roy's a fascinating kid, 23, went to BYU, which is a Mormon university, but he's not a Mormon, which is kind of unusual. You go into that. I don't know if many people knew he was not Mormon. I think everyone just assumed he was. So basically, it's a a feature of kind of why Rory made the decisions he made. Uh, Without spoiling it, it's essentially this kid is all in. So he had a great debut in Toronto this past weekend. Congratulations, Rory. Great run. I'm looking forward to seeing what you do next. I think he's going to do great things. This week's podcast, the first podcast, the inaugural show, is a conversation with Lindsay Tessier
1: from Barcelona to Doha, I was just very much out of my element. I still I felt like an outsider looking in the entire time.
0: She's forty-one years old. She runs a two thirty marathon. She only started running. I think it's eight years ago, she said in her conversation. I should know this because I've known Lindsay a while. Uh, and she agreed to have this conversation pretty much right after Doha, right after the World Championships where she came ninth overall, which is nuts, amazing. We use the, the Doha experience as the starting point of a conversation and we kind of go back in time and talk about how she discovered she's got this really like Olympic world-class level talent inside of her that she was not aware of until uh, she was in her mid-30s. So I really appreciate that Lindsay came on and uh, was the guinea pig for this test run to see how this went. I think it went pretty well. Hopefully you enjoyed the conversation. I had a great time. I find Lindsay's a fascinating human being and always super fun to talk with. So uh, here it goes. Lindsay Tessier. I'm joined by Lindsay Tessier, who is just back from Doha from the IAAF World Championships, where she ran the marathon at the World Championships. And uh, for those who aren't familiar with Lindsay's resume, uh, she is, sorry, Lindsay, you're 41 years old. <laughs> you're, uh, you've are you only been running since 2011. Uh, you currently hold the Canadian uh, Masters Marathon record in 230-47, which you ran last year at the Berlin Marathon. And you finished ninth overall in the world in the World Championship Marathon. You've got a really weird career. And I guess when I say career, um, it's like a second career because you're, you work as a school teacher full-time, right?
1: Yes. That is my... I'm a professional teacher,
0: (laughs) right? So you, this whole running thing. Tell me a little bit about, like, how did you get into running? You were in your 30s. Um, It wasn't that long ago. Let's take us back. Let's go back to the beginning. What was your first? What's what was the first race?
1: So I yeah I'm in my in my 30s and uh, a friend of mine from public school. Had told me that she was going to join the running room and run a marathon, a half marathon, run a half marathon in the fall, and um, I thought she and I used to run together in public school, so that sounded like a great idea, nice little challenge. So I joined the running room in my area and uh, did that first clinic and ran Scotiabank half marathon in the fall. And I loved that race, had a really good time there. And then after that race, I was then sort of coaxed into running a full marathon, training for a full marathon. And the rest from there is kind of history.
0: So just out of curiosity, do you remember the, the half marathon time, the original time?
1: I think it was 1.34.
0: Which is pretty good either- for a first half marathon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't know any wiser. either. I do know that my time, uh, my goal time, was one hundred and fifty in the clinic, Whoa. and it was either one. I think I either ran one hundred and thirty-four or one hundred and thirty-six in that in that first uh, first marathon. But I didn't have any sort of idea of what the numbers meant or pacing or anything like that. Um,
0: did you wear a watch?
1: I did. I did for that one. I had. And I remember it didn't. I didn't turn it on. And I remember running with I I I didn't forgot to turn it on. I remember running with a guy, and I told him, like I was chatting with him in the race, and I told him that I wanted I wanted to run 150. And he said, well, and he was French. He had a French accent, and I think he was annoyed with me. But he said, well, I think you're going to get under 150. And then basically stop talking and let's run. So yeah, no, my watch was not on for that race. Oh, <laughs>
0: and, and for those of you who are listening, who are, I don't know, from not from Canada, um, the running room is like, you're kind of like, it's a very feel, it's a national chain of store of running stores. It's very feel good. It's a lot of learn to run clinics. Uh, and yeah, so it's, it seeing somebody start off at that point must've been pretty shocking to the the group. <laughs>
1: it did me it 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 was good for me I have no complaints we started with um, the entry level into running room so you run for 10 minutes and walk for one and I remember my first run was 6k which is a 6k straight run and then the second run I actually got into the wrong group and we ran 16k and I remember thinking how how far are we running today what we just I was looking forward to those one minute breaks and it was great like just the community and but yeah we've come some way since
0: then. <laughs> and we'll get to that in a minute but just i guess one thing i should clarify is that you know you and i know each other like full disclosure yeah. we're friends we've once upon a time trained together not so much yeah. anymore but i can't keep up <laughs> anymore but oh, God. Um, well you know uh and um i so i do know i I'm, i've got some inside information so like I know that before you got into running, you were like, you, you used to hit the strip mall and, uh, and do like, was it kickboxing?
1: I did, yeah. I was into kickboxing for several years. Um, really enjoyed that quite a bit. Actually, that's, a, that's where some of the running started coming back to me because for a we would we skipped for a while. We would skip and then when the weather got nicer, we would uh run maybe just like a a two K sort of loop. And I was I would ask, you know, could can I do it again while the other girls were still coming around. So it was a, it's yeah, it's always something that's gonna kind of been in there. The endurance has always or at least the drive for the endurance has always been there. But yes, I, I kickboxed for several years before this before I started running.
0: So the marathon, I imagine the the progression was like pretty incredible like from the first one i don't do you know do you remember your first marathon time
1: yeah it was 309 309 that was the good life marathon
0: so that's the spring one here in toronto and then yeah so it was 309 and then do you know what the progression was after that to get to you to 230 seven Uh, seven years later
1: then i ran um hamilton marathon we were supposed to do New York, um, but then there there was the hurricane, so oh, we right. and it got canceled. Was can- right. Yeah,
0: was there too. Yeah, right, right.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Um, and then I, so we we hopped over to Hamilton. I ran Hamilton in two fifty four, but and I didn't appreciate at the time how um, significant a sub three was. Um, but I just kn- like, what had a great didn't, time.
0: How do you mean you didn't, you I, didn't know you didn't appreciate it? Like you just weren't aware of this like massive barrier that all of these 20 and 30 something dudes obsess over all the time.
1: <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I was in a, I was in kind of a bubble by then. I had joined a group called running free and, um, I think a lot of them were still, like a lot of us were still in the 305 to 320 range. And then I just, I, I don't know, like I wasn't, I, no, I didn't know. It was later on when I realized how important that was, like when I got in, when I started to speak to more runners and got more involved in the community that I understood and appreciated how significant that three-hour barrier was and I'm, I'm really happy that I didn't know it because then you start to put those expectations on yourself and suddenly running becomes something other than you know just achieving achieving the race so there was there was Hamilton 254 and then um there was a stress fracture in there <laughs> and then there there were several and then there was Boston um, I ran, I think that was 254 or 255. That was my first race post, uh, fracture. And then there were a couple more fractures and, um, then Chicago marathon was 245. Hmm. So that was a That was a big jump. I joined the black lungs at that point. So I saw, you know, I was running. I was running with the big boys in that group, and you guys really sort of brought me to the next the next level.
0: Right. So this and, is where this is where our friendship starts. Is we, we yeah. ran together uh, in that in that group for a while. I mean, I still run yeah. in that group, but you've you've moved on to the international circuit now. So no, no, no. You're
1: no, no. Anyway, um, <laughs> and um, then ah. Uh, Chicago was a few more stress, another stress fracture, and then um, Scotiabank. And Scotiabank was a 236.
0: Right. And that's a huge jump because, I mean, that's like, um, it, you know, you're getting into rarefied, uh, sure, sub three hour marathon um, is its own kind of world. And then two fifties is kind of, wow, it's good. And then two forties, you're sort of entering into this like national class female marathon time level, but the two thirties you're, you're getting into a different place. There are not, at least in Canada, there are not that many people that are in that, that territory. Um, that must've been a strange experience for you because like, you're not uh, you're not straight out of college. You're not super experienced in this. Um, you know, you're, you, I think a lot of people were probably seeing you as like a, a recreational runner up until that. Point.
1: I see myself as a recreational runner. Like I, 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 I do, I do. I, <laughs> um, the, t- anyway, we can get into that later, but when I, when I ran the two thirty six, 36, but it did feel I think it was a tremendous relief because it had been um, I think three years since my last marathon. Um, I tried, I, I had a couple attempts at uh, marathon builds and then I was just, before race day, I was um, taking it with injury. And then to make it to the start line, I was unsure sort of of where my fitness was. Like I know it was a, it was a good build, but I thought You know, how am I going to outdo 245 kind of thing? Um, And then the 236 happened. I was really, really happy with that, really surprised.
0: So what Uh, you say surprised, like it's a tricky thing to surprise yourself in the marathon, right? Because you do have to set the table for it. You do have to go out and run the pace for the first 21K or first 30K to kind of get into that ballpark of, being able to execute on that time. So like when you're running that marathon, what are you thinking? Are you looking, looking at your watch? Are you looking at the splits and are you thinking I'm running a little fast here, but this feels really good. Like the kind of thing that everybody does and then fucks it up at the end. Or are you yeah. like, <laughs> are you like, are you not looking at the watch at all? And you're just kind of running and not even thinking about it. Like what's the, how do you have that breakthrough?
1: I just, I like you know, I really, it sounds so sort of airy, fairy, but I really do. Run by feel. I my my thoughts always are that I, I put the work in throughout the build. I, I'm a little more. I'm careful with my paces. I definitely pay attention to mileage and the quality that I'm getting in through the build. Um, and then when I line up, like Steve Boyd has always said, he's my current coach. Mm-hmm. Um, was my coach for scotia berlin and then doha his he always says you know when it comes to my my plan on the race day he said have a good race or berlin marathon or like there's no race <laughs> plan so for doha he said it, his, his, he gave me like the um my taper for that week and then on on the friday he goes you know what like that's what he said. That's that's what he gave me. You know what? Like there was, there's no race plan for um, on the race day because I just I'm of the thought that, that the training is in my legs and I have some intelligence as a runner and trust in him and myself that I'm going to um, I'm going to run a race that is within my within sort of my means and I like you know I I constantly check in with myself when I'm running like I know I know for Scotia I was running with Leslie Sexton and um Tish Jones from the UK and I thought oh geez I shouldn't be up here with these with these women because I know uh Leslie Sexton was around I want to say 235 or lower but I just kept saying well I'm here with them and I'm feeling good and I don't feel that I'm overreaching. And so and then I also said to them during the race, you're you probably have race plans and when you hit the halfway mark, you're probably gonna, you know, surge a bit. I'm not going with you. Like this is I told them that. Like I, I have no I find my little sweet spot, my pocket, and I I stick I stick to it. And so I'm com- I'm comfortable when I start that I have chosen a pace that is uh, sort of appropriate for me and within my range. And so, and I don't, I also don't like sticking too much to the watch because what if it's limiting in the sense that you you might reach beyond what what was um, what you were hoping or expecting? For example, in Berlin, I was thinking 234 would be appropriate I thought 234 and so we sort of sort of thought in my head okay I'm going to go through the half at a certain point point. and then when I actually went through the half I was feeling good um, I was about 90, 60 seconds to 90 seconds under what where I should have been and if I had been a slave to my watch and looking at it that might have really freaked me out and I might have, you know, slowed down or thought I was too tired. But if, if I'm just going and constantly checking with myself, does this feel okay? Is this something you can sustain for another hour and a half or what have you? Then then I just kind of roll that way in the marathon, except in Doha. Totally different story.
0: And let's get there. Like um, Yeah. Let's jump right in. Okay, so Doha, like, I'm fascinated by this experience. I'm fascinated by this race for a lot of reasons some some good some i have some question marks um you know we we don't have to dig too deeply into the politics and whatever of it we can talk about a little bit but um so for you first things first canada team canada you get selected for the team which is i mean for you probably pretty weird because you don't really see yourself as a world-class elite uh athlete you're a school teacher at a Toronto Public School, right? So,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm. a teacher first. Yeah, always. Yes, yeah, so I still don't. I it's it weird is the best way to describe
0: it. I would say. And you're and you've never been on a a, a, a national team before. You, no. <laughs> you know, because some people have been like no. on a junior team when they were whatever. Yeah, no, sort
1: of no, way, you know, no, because no, you
0: didn't run no. competitively. I
1: didn't run in school. high school or university. No, no, no.
0: And. So, you're on this team. Uh, team Canada does like a high-altitude training thing in St. Moritz, Switzerland. You decide not to go to that, right?
1: I Yes. Yeah, I opted out of that.
0: Why did you opt out?
1: Um, I opted out because I, I have to take this all in manageable chunks. And I thought St. Moritz would be um, far outside of my comfort zone. And... Um, I know I, I have social media, I know I follow some runners, I know that they all go to St. Moritz and um, I sort of glamorized that in my head to be honest, and I thought I can't really see myself sharing the roads with Emma Coburn or, or, or like I just I thought it would be distracting. I thought it would be intimidating.
0: So you um, opted not to go to a free, high altitude training camp in fucking Switzerland and run with some of your idols because you wanted to stay focused and smash your race.
1: Yeah. I really thought that it would detract from, from my goal, which was to, you know, have a successful build and, you know, stay as, comfortable and routine for as long as I could, which was just staying at home and doing the same route that I do every damn day. And, and I have no complaints about that. And I'm comfortable and I get, I'm happy here. And then I don't have to worry about, you know, I'd love to go back to St. (laughs) Maritz to travel (laughs) on vacation, but I don't think it was, I don't think, I don't regret not going at all. I, I think this was the right decision for me to stay here. Basically, I'm a chicken shit, and and I I know I know I know myself well enough to know that I would be most effective um, and get the most out of myself here.
0: So, just and again, a little bit of like inside information. I know you're a creature of extreme habit. Like you've got. To- <laughs> Like a crazy structure right now. We're talking right now and it's like, it's nine Oh one. I told you we would be done by 9. PM. Cause you like to go to bed, but I'm you sweating. get up at like super early in the morning. You run the, yeah. and you run the same, you run the same route like every day, right?
1: Every day. Yeah. All summer I ran the same route with on occasion. I go to Kingston to train with uh, Boyd and some of the girls out there, but for the most part, yeah, I like to, I like to stick here. <laughs>
0: Did you get bored of the same it, running route over and over again?
1: I do not because, um, I go places in my mind. Like, so it's, I can run in some really beautiful places and not see a thing. I probably couldn't tell you what the Scotiabank marathon course is or, you know, Berlin, just cause I'm just kind of focused on the running. I'm not, not so much looking around just in a, good place in my head make sure i get in a good headspace there and other than that it's just one foot in front of the other and mm-hmm. then if you if i take out sorry to interrupt
0: no, like no, keep the, going.
1: the other distractions um you know then i can again focus on my body my breathing my mind like i can i'm into the my run and i'm in like pain Close attention to everything that I'm feeling and doing versus being distracted by anything else. I'm not making a, like it's not a I'm not making a judgment statement on anything else, anybody else, but that's just how I how I prefer to run and train.
0: Do you still listen to that iPod? I know you've had an I iPod do. for.
1: <laughs> I do. Tell, I do the same a, one.
0: Tell us a little bit about the iPod. I'm sorry, I'm bringing this up.
1: And no, it's, it's Doyle, so because you know. <laughs> There's some wham on it. Like my oh, sister makes this playlist for me, and um, I just I have it on. It's kind of background noise. Um, I listen to it every run. I I notice when if though if I'm going to do a workout like a long marathon pace workout, anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes, I prefer not to have. The, I won't run with music, or you know if I've got. Like a tempo, like 30 minute tempo. I just, I, again, I don't want any, then it's, then it sounds like noise. Right. So I prefer not
0: to using music for that. What's the weirdest song on the playlist that you're just like, oh, fuck, <laughs> I wish this was not on the playlist.
1: <laughs> There's some like, um, Oh, it's like a heavy metal rock song that she, my sister put on there. And I, I don't, I skip it whenever it comes on, I skip it, but I could tell it like, I don't know the name of it to be honest with you, but it's there, and
0: I skip it. <laughs> I'd like to point out that you've kept the same playlist on this pod on this iPod. First of all, it's a it's a fucking it's an iPod. You're using an iPod, <laughs> which is awesome, and and that you've not changed the playlist. And how old is it?
1: Oh gosh, four or five years?
0: Four years? Probably. I listen to it every day.
1: Yeah, yeah. And what I do. happens? What happens? Oh my gosh! I'm sounding
0: like a- what? No, no. It's, well, this is what you do. Well, hey, uh,
1: yeah, I'm gonna own it.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I think it's great. I think it's totally fascinating and and kind of neat. Now, what happens? What if you thought about what happens when the when the pod when the iPod dies?
1: Yes, yeah, actually, Smith Kelly has asked me this very same thing. She said, "Start writing this my, song." My, down. my
0: wife, my wife is asking yeah. this question. For those yes. who do not know me, yeah. Yes.
1: So I have started to like. I I wrote the song. I have the songs written down, and I have another iPod that is off of
0: Toshiba.
1: You so have purchased.
0: It, you have purchased the backup. Yes. You have the backup <laughs> in hand, ready.
1: Yeah, I do. Yes.
0: That's amazing.
1: It's in emergency situations. That's yeah,
0: good. that's so good. Okay, so okay. fast forward. We're back to 2019. We're back to a week ago. Yeah. So you fly to. So Team Canada is doing a little like huddle in Barcelona before jumping over to, to Doha, right?
1: Yeah, we did their, the heat camp in uh, in Barcelona.
0: So you fly over to Barcelona.
1: I, yeah, I was a big girl for that one. Good. Flew over there a week out or so, yeah,
0: a okay. week out. Was it hot? Uh, um, I guess it was not different than Canada in the summertime. No, it wasn't much,
1: yeah. Oh, no, bad. I don't think we got up to 30. Okay at all there it was around 25 but the sun was out so you got some heat for sure it wasn't humid um who, but it was sorry go ahead
0: who was your roommate
1: natasha tasha wodak oh yeah. nice
0: okay so you're in a yeah. comfort zone then you got lucky exactly or,
1: oh yeah no yeah. that was planned
0: <laughs> this is something that was brought up to me in discussing organizing m- major events And and for those who don't know, when you, even big, even huge races, even races like a Berlin and New York or Chicago, whatever, they still bunk a lot of the athletes in pairs in the hotel room. So you have to split a room, even the elite level athletes. I think it's only like the real top, top athletes that would get their own room. But, um, even, you know, all, all, most of the elite list, you're most of the elites that you're seeing standing at the start line for the Boston marathon are probably Mm -hmm. like splitting a room. Uh, or yeah. maybe, not, maybe not Boston, but other marathons for sure. And, yeah. um, you know, which is kind of crazy to think about, but so it is it,
1: because they, you have sort of elites like from different, you know, you could have like a, a Kenyan with a Canadian and they're on very different, you know, time zones, especially for the first several days. So I yeah. know there's been some funny adjustments, like people have been on their phones or you know, when someone else is trying to sleep. It's, it's a little bit unnerving to, to not know who your roommate might be. Yeah. but anyway, And like,
0: what if you get paired with like your nemesis?
1: I know. I think it, I think it's, um, I know there are some athletes who request not to be with any of their direct competitors. <laughs> they don't want to. Yeah. Cause it's gets, it just gets like, it's weird. I mean, the race, somebody said the race actually starts at the race hotel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Whew, that's um, a good I, one. I gotta remember that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Everyone's sizing each other up, you know. Yeah.
0: So Oh yeah. When yeah. you go into like um the technical meeting, for example. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Where everyone has to show their hand and say, like, okay, this is the pace I'm going at and this is the group I'm gonna race in. You're then you all of a sudden you get to size everybody up and you're like, Oh, okay. Oh, you <laughs> yeah. think you're hot shit. You think you're gonna actually run that time. Okay, that's
1: interesting Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. The meals like having, then once that cat's out of the bag, then you see these people at meals, and everyone's just kind of <laughs> being polite. But there's, you could cut the tension. With <laughs>
0: oh man! So Doa, you're in Barcelona for a week. Then you guys fly yeah. over. Do you fly over as a team? You're like, you go over, and like, you, most of you are on the same flights or similar flights, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, there were a couple of waves depending on when we competed. Mm-hmm. So. Um, there was a a very big group of us. I want to say about 20 to 30 of us that went over um, on my flight. And that was fun. That was, we're all up early. We're all commiserating together, but it was, it was fun and neat to travel with these people. And it's bonding. Like once I got over my intimidation, hangups and stuff like that, it was, it's quite bonding. And to, to, be able to speak and sort of chat with and share experiences with the sprinters or the 400 meter people or you know the javelin thrower like just very very cool to to learn from and hear their experiences so, so you're, different from
0: So you're on the plane there. like across the aisle is like under the grass justin just...
1: Justin Knight <laughs> was... oh, justin Knight
0: oh well, he's amazing yeah. he's like oh, yeah. a, he's like the the, you know he's like a cuddly bear he's like a wonderful a cuddly bear is probably not a good ex- a, a description for Justin Knight he's a man but um <laughs> but he's like a Sweetheart. super charming nice oh, affable human being right
1: so lovely. the first run that I did in when I arrived to Barcelona and I was jet lagged and not knowing what to expect and and I see Justin Knight, um, Jen Lalonde and um, John Gay were in the in the lobby and they were about to go for a run and they're like, Yeah, come with us. We're gonna go thirty minutes and it just completely put me at ease. They all of them were just lovely people and you know, you only you know these people through your your phone on social media, but then you're actually, you know, actually It's such a really a pleasant surprise. And Justin Knight, yeah, he's a phenomenal kid. <laughs> Just phenomenal. And in so, every way.
0: And so you get to Doha. How many days I mean, your event is one of the My first I events was, yeah. of the of the whole program right like it's, yeah it's a lead event into the into the week so yeah yeah so what's like so, what's life like at the world championships do they have like um because doe is a weird one because it's sort of like um it's the world championships on the moon or on mars or whatever right it's like a totally other experience from my understanding than any other world championships in a lot of respects and we'll get to your specific race and how weird that was but yeah like,
1: I mean I don't have anything to compare that like it to that way but if I was just a tourist in doha like it's not anything that I expected it's almost like Las Vegas it's so you know everything is man-made and all the buildings I think 20 years ago it was just one big fishing community kind of thing. I'm you know Not being very specific, but everything is really, really new. They have like air-conditioned sidewalks. Um, It's just—it was a lot. It was a lot to take in, and to just kind of wrap your head around this little corner of the world that none of, like, that I had never experienced before. And And then, of course
0: were they like were they interest was there like interest in the world championships was there like a lot of buzz around it like did you get did you talk to anybody was it is it a friendly city are there people to like because it seems like a pretty like the description is like it sort of sounds like a shopping mall
1: yes yeah that's a good way and there is like this huge shopping mall in it with I I didn't. To be honest with you, Doyle, I didn't go. We weren't advised to go to be outside too often because it was so hot, and unless it was just for sort of a shakeout run or something of the like, so I didn't. I didn't interact with many of the locals. I did go to the market after the marathon, and I, I felt safe. Like there was a feeling of safety, and they they kind of. The locals there were just—they were nice, but like you know, kind of looking at you. And I think they were getting used to having Westerners there, and because the FIFA, the World Cup, is going to be there in 2020, I believe. Um, But there is—we were—we were told to wear long pants everywhere and to keep our shoulders covered, and that there could be some, if if we're running in shorts, that there could be some reaction, but just to ignore it kind of thing, like don't.
0: Oh yeah, right, of course.
1: Yeah, yeah, so I didn't experience any of that though and right. like, I mind you, I wasn't running much there, but things were fine. I think it was, I think everyone was erring on the side of caution just because it was such an unknown and fair enough and maybe we were building it up too much, but it was, it was fine. So, yeah, but
0: I, sorry, go on.
1: So, no, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to get into the, this crazy marathon and like mm-hmm. first things first before the marathon, which was run on, I guess Friday, m- Saturday morning, midnight, your yeah. time when you were there, uh, 5. Yeah. PM Eastern time. Yeah. And did you run on the course? The course is, it was a weird course. It was just basically like running on a, uh, a, a, it's called the Corniche, which was like yep. a, like a boardwalk, like a paved boardwalk that runs along the water the, out and back. The water,
1: right? yeah, yeah, yeah. We just it was sort of like a it was a seven k, basically oval that we ran um, six times. Yeah, along the Corniche, Ooh. so we we had uh, the water to our right on the way out and. Who are left on the way back?
0: <laughs> okay, so you walk out. Okay, so the, first of all, I mean, you've like this is a totally alien experience for you. You've never been in a world championship oh, before,
1: in every way imaginable.
0: <laughs> so you like, how do you get to the start of the race? Like, what's the what is that like? You they, they put you in little buses, they take you from yep. the race hotel or wherever you're staying at, and then they bring yep. you out like a whole group of athletes.
1: Yeah, they dump it was you the, out
0: there, and you're like gonna run a seven k loop.
1: Yeah. So they they had there was there's buses running in and out of the hotel. I mean, almost constantly, like on every I don't I'm ten minutes, twenty minutes, I'm not sure. Because people are going to the track, the Khalifa Stadium, either to, to train or to race or they're going to the warm up track or so there were buses constantly. And so we decided to take the so this is uh Trent Melanie, uh, um, Sasha, myself, Jerry—just the team. Like there were.
0: So there Trent Stellingworth, so who's the um, like the exercise physiologist, the main science guy for Athletics Canada. Then oh. you've got Sasha Gullish and Mel Morand, who are your teammates, who are also running the marathon, yes. right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm acting like people know this. Yes, sorry, well, thank I mean, you. You
0: know, the, you never know. <laughs>
1: And then yes, Mary Lou, um, and who is a physio. She was out on course. Jerry was distance coach and uh, former Olympic race walker. And Carolyn was sort of she, she was the media, and she was also helping with our bottles on course. So we, um, myself, Trent, and Jerry, and, and the girls. Went out. We took, I, I think, the ten o'clock bus, if I remember correctly, um, over to the start line. Or sorry, like our our the warm up area. We didn't warm up. That was it. Would have been redundant. You just
0: stood <laughs> I mean, there.
1: I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Accomplished. Um, and we were when we got there. Each each country had their own little. I want to say like. Um, Oh, little booth area that was draped. So that was kind of neat. We had our privacy, and we could get in there. And in there, myself, Mel, and Sasha, we put on the ice vests, the cooling vests, so um, keep the core temperature uh, as low for as long as possible. And then we were called to the call room, and in the call room. We have our. We have to put our, the chips on our shoes. Things are starting to get a little more real at this point. Right. Um, and you can in this call room. It it was it just the athletes. Um, our coaches weren't really in there, and it, there was it was quite tense. Like all of the women, we were nervous about not just the marathon, like not running a marathon, but just. Legitimately nervous about the conditions and what the heat would do to our bodies if we tried to press too hard, or you know, like we were just we were worried. Um,
0: Did you talk? Did you talk to anybody else about it? Were you chatting with other people about it? Or
1: yeah, I was talking to um, Charlotte Purdue a little bit about it, which is one of the highlights of my entire trip because I'm just a complete. Girl of hers um and then I was speaking to the the American the Roberta Groner yeah and um as we were lining up we had to once we got our chips on our shoes we had to line up and then get to run out over a mat to make sure that the chips were activated I guess so at this point everybody like we're sharing ice with each other people have ice and we're just shoving it down our our vest our singlets and we're just putting it everywhere that it will fit <laughs> um and by the time we get like we run out to the start line we do just a couple of strides like the ice is gone um but then yeah so we get out there and it's just it's wild because it, it's dark I had no I had lost complete concept of time the race day adrenaline alleviates that issue altogether. Like mm-hmm. somebody said, what's it, you know, what's it like to run at midnight? It's that had no impact or effect on, on anything. Cause by the time you got there, it was just a regular, it was just a, a marathon. You know, it didn't, could have been 7am, could have been 1am. It doesn't, the, yeah, adrenaline just completely took over so yeah we do a couple strides out there and I took a few glances around to think what in the heck is it? where am I <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> and who is around me like the, the strangest part of all of it was at the start line and there are so few women I think there were 68 and Any marathon that I've been in, there's thousands of people all around you. But here, you really felt this sense of, like, I don't want to say competition, but yeah, you you really felt what you were going to be doing there. Like, and they all, like, all of us did. I think it was a, a collective feeling amongst us all. It just, it was so weird to have so few of us there
0: right and like there is no there's no real there's no there are no spectators really like
1: there you know there weren't met, like not like any any other marathon but there were god love them there were some there were spectators on the course um, i guess maybe locals and then um, i personally had two friends from home come out
0: get out and, really
1: wow yeah yeah my a big two trip. Yeah, really big trip, and so that actually like four friends came because some of their friends came, but and then um, Alan was out there as well with Lynn Kanuka, so that's Natasha's partner and running coach. And I guess I'm jumping ahead, of course, but they were they were on the course as well, which was immeasurably helpful to have everybody up there because yes, it it was it was lonely. Certainly got lonely, especially
0: when the race got out. Yeah. Um, so the gun goes off. Everything, everyone's taken off. Y- you, yeah. you, you were really conservative. You were very careful. You're sort of sitting in this, you're like kind of sitting in the middle of the, the, the pack of um, 60 or 70 athletes that are running.
1: Yeah. 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 It was, and I thought, okay, well, it felt, that felt really nice and calming, like how we were all out together and like nobody was making any big moves in that first kilometer or two and I just it just really eased you into the run and into the mindset too, like that this like there's no panic right off the right off the hop. Like there's if somebody took off that you're I don't know, there's it ignites something in you if you're not doing the same thing kind of thing. Right. Um, but there was none of that. We all we all went off I felt pretty conservatively and and stayed together. And then within a few kilometers, you had, there was a massive spreading out of runners. And I thought that, you know, that's fine. They can let them go. I knew, I knew from Steve, I needed, I needed from Steve for him to tell me in this, in this situation what my limit was my pace limit so and that was and we had a big chat and he told me like I was about 15 to 20 seconds slower than what my what my marathon pace was and I thought okay just that's fine just give me the numbers if if that's what you think is appropriate in this kind of weather and these conditions then that's I have no problem sticking to that because you run scared in a marathon like this cuz you you don't know you won't always know that you're hot until it's too late or you're dehydrated or you know something suffering until it's too late and that was in my head and I was really worried about that and as I'm running I would see women who I've who I know and who you know I know what their marathon times are, and I'm seeing them collapsed on the ground. And it's such an unnerving feeling to see. Feel like if, if this marathon can take those Titans down, they can certainly take me down in the next kilometer or 500 meters. So it's not one that I was willing to take any sort of risk with in that marathon.
0: So were you nervous? Were you like, when you saw somebody like sitting on the side of the course, just completely wrecked and you're seeing more and more athletes as you're moving through the race and you're getting into yeah. the second half of the race, which is, you know, you know, everything can change very quickly at any moment. Yeah. yeah. Like, are you like almost second guessing yourself wondering, you're like, am I, am I like, am I one, one kilometer away from collapsing here and i just feel i'm like is there something wrong what you know are you yeah yeah self-doubt must have been a huge factor in that at that stage
1: there was like there was um again like there there self-doubt yeah i guess i just unawareness and a certain amount of fear like i didn't i wasn't terrified but i i didn't want to miss a single water station or a single opportunity to douse that water you know over me I'm typically historically not great with fueling and I've in the past run marathons foolishly and I've not taken the water but this one I wouldn't even I didn't I would never want to break stride before so I'd pass them but this time they had there were So we had our own fueling stations at two and a half K and four and a half K. And then along, along the route, I would say like almost every kilometer or two, there was, there was another water station just with bottle water bottles and, um, and, and sponges all along the way. And I got to every, I didn't miss one. So whenever you start to feel hot, I thought that was sort of my mental um, like security blanket. Where okay, I'm going to get the water. I'm going to put it over my head, and I know that's going to feel good. Like I know that there is going to be this opportunity to cool off.
0: What were you but, drinking? What, what was it, what was in your bottles? What did you go with?
1: I went with Morton. I was going to go all three twenties, um, but then because it was so hot, Steve had told me to talk to
0: Trent. Um, <clears throat> right. He's a bit of a that. wizard. He's a bit of a wizard with this sort of stuff. Like he really helped. <laughs> really, he, he helped yeah. Mean, yeah, he's like one of the world's most foremost yeah. experts in these things. And he helped. Yeah. I know I talked to Cam Levens about his Canadian record and he'd worked with, with Trent Stellingworth quite a bit on figuring out what worked for him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, no, no. He's a, he's amazing. So, Yes, you was saying like the body when it's so hot, the body can't take in. I didn't know this. As many carbohydrates, um, it just it will make you feel ill. Like you'll, yeah. you'll your body will reject it. So we went. I had five bottles of the. This might be too much detail, but no, no, I had five. Okay, five bottles of the. Um. 160 and six bottles of the 320. Hold on. Here. Before,
0: I'm, I'm doing the math on this here. Like a bottle is 500 milliliters for each pouch, right? That's what they Yes,
1: but, do. but we, like, yeah, but then I separated until about, I, each bottle probably has about 150 mil.
0: Right. Okay. I, so I, put,
1: I said one, one 500 mil between three bottles. Okay. Oh god, my math.
0: <laughs> so you like your this is a very quick rough math, but you consumed like at least a liter and a half of fluid on the course.
1: Yeah. That was yeah.
0: That's a lot. It's exactly. a good amount.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I actually there there was a couple I missed two of my two of my fueling bottles, like two of my nutrition Just one, at one point, because the way the fueling is lined up here in this marathon was that every country had their own table. Yes. And we're really, really close together. And so um, I guess in one of them, China, like it goes by alphabetical order, obviously, and had knocked one, like my bottle at like Jerry was holding it out for me and she had knocked it out of his hand and I just didn't oh. stop to go back and get it. So there was two situations. I missed two bottles of nutrition, which in hindsight might've been a bit of a blessing because, um, when I got to about 39 K my stomach was cramping Yeah, and I've never, I've never had cramps. Like I've never cramped up in a marathon before. And I think it was really just that I had taken more, nutrition than I ever have, really, because I'm just, that's something I'm constantly working on. Um, so I just kind of think though, missing those bottles, I don't recommend it, but I think for me, it was, I was teetering on having too much
0: even. Right. So, so. it's like a little bit of a blessing in disguise. And mm-hmm. it really
1: well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you ran through, you ran through like a third of the field in the second half. Like you're just passing people and people are also dropping out. Yeah. What's that experience. Like, like, it um, kind of feels good a little bit. I mean, I you don't feel good that other people are like crapping out of the race, but it, it must feel exhilarating that you're going, that you're like, that you're making jumps that you're moving up.
1: Yeah. Exhilarating is a good word. And like throughout it, uh, I'm just, Every loop that I got around, I I was so excited and happy that I was still in it myself. You know, I like passing people. There were there were a couple of groups where I thought when I watched them, you know, pull away from me, um, and then a loop later, I saw them coming back to me. It was just confirmation that I was running. The right race for me, because I, I refused to chase anybody. I just let them come back, and I and that's kind of a hard thing to do when you're feeling good. Like I was feeling good. I wasn't feeling great, but I was feeling good. Like I felt your typical marathon grind when you got to 30k. Right. I, um, that's or the the marathon distress that you feel. Um, so that I was expecting, but yeah, when I when I would catch up again, to these groups who had left me several kilometers before. Yeah, it was just, it was a good, good. I was happy about, again, that I was running intelligently. Like, I just, the one thing that I didn't want to do in this race was um, embarrass myself, huh. which would be to, uh, or, like, especially because I had the Canada vest on, like, I, I didn't want to go out knowing that the conditions were severe, um, severe for for me. And um, I didn't want to. I didn't want to run a stupid race. I thought, you know, if I go out and run, you know, three forty-five, like what Steve told me, three forty-five to three fifty, and then, you know, towards the end of it, then I sort of got worn down and blew up a little that still would have been a a race I could have you know respected because I followed the plan right and I didn't I didn't feed into anything any of the other um, temptations along the way or if you know 345 to 350 per kilometer meant that I ended up in 50 second I stayed in 50 second position I would have been I would have been fine with that as well I mean I just I didn't want to run a stupid race
0: and you did not you ran a remarkable race um and I think that and I'm not I'm not blowing smoke up your ass here but I think that for those who are like kind of no don't,
1: you don't. here we go <laughs> I know, and I don't
0: usually so um no. but like people I think don't it, they have a t- well, if there's not a medal involved if you're not super into the sport you don't understand how hard it is to be top 20 or top 10 or whatever and so what ended up happening was is you ran through most of the field and you finished ninth overall in the world championships which is i think one of the top canadian performances in distance running in history right like it's it's up there and i know you're like you probably have a tough time believing that but it's yeah. just a fact. I mean, it just happened. It's what happened. Right. So right. Um, did you get, did you know where, what place you were in? Is there like feedback on the course that indicated kind of where you were at? Like where there, was there like um, were there were mats that you were going through that gave you like your place and place and time or anything like that? Or people yelling at you in the course, telling you, like giving you feedback about like kind of where you were if you were moving up in the field at all, or were you just kind of like in the dark, like literally and figuratively?
1: Yeah, literally and figuratively. I had no idea where I was. I was just so concerned about not blowing up and not passing out or, you know, and keeping, I I looked at my watch more times during that race than I probably ever have in my life. Um, But there was one point where Trent had said, Um, that I was in 15th and I thought what like what 15th like I don't need like it almost like it escaped my mind about placing like I just I had no concept of anything and he said 15th and I thought oh I'm kind of in this like I'm kind of (laughs) (laughs) wow like that brought that sort of freshened up my legs and my mind just a little bit and then I sort of refocused. I readjusted the lens through which I was looking through the race, which was, you know, finished, respective, respectively, and 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 intelligently. To hey, what do you like? Can you press a little bit right now? Can you like? There's a little bit of life was brought back into me again, and I thought, wow, I just need to. Like I knew, sort of top ten is special. Um, and then I started counting. Then I started counting the women I would pass because at that point I wasn't keeping keeping tabs at all. And then at one point I, I passed my my friends from Canada and I said to them, I think I'm in 12th. And they were counting and they said, yeah, you're 12th. And I was like, holy cow. And then at that point, I like women might have been dropping out well ahead of me because from twelve, then I don't. Then I sort of lost count of where I was, or maybe the marathon started to take its toll on me, and I started to need to focus on just putting one foot in front of the other and slow down. There, Charlie, don't get excited. So, <laughs> um, and then I think I think it was Jerry who said I was ninth or tenth. I, things get a little things get a little foggy at that point <laughs> like so, then I'm just like the last sorry go ahead
0: no no go on
1: yeah the, the last the last loop it was you're kind of hanging on to in the last loop I remember I passed Trent and he said to me on look for the last loop okay last one and if you've got anything left now it's like the deal was with everybody is I run this three forty five to three fifty pace and if I'm feeling groovy in the last ten K or so then I can then I can take it down a bit or I can play with those paces a bit. But then when I got to the last loop and Trent told me it was last loop and I can now's the time if I have anything. I remember thinking no, like I wasn't, I wasn't, <laughs> no, no, trust, no. not today. <laughs> no, I'm not
0: unleashing not. anything right now. I'm not, unleashing, no. not falling.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hope to make it through. No, I still, I still felt good. Relatively speaking, like I, I was running a straight line. Um, cause I was, I was warned if we were, we were zigzagging and we weren't aware of it. As soon as you're touched by somebody, uh, one of your coaches, you're automatically DQ'd. And, oh, wow. Okay, right. Yeah, my coach said, you know, if, if anybody, if they want to take you up the course, don't question it. Like, they see things before you do So, right. Oh, so much hype going into it. Um, and so, yeah, so he told me in, in the last week, like, if I had anything. And I just, I just didn't. I just wanted to hang on and sort of stay where I was, like. I didn't know my exact position, but I knew the girl in front of me was too far ahead to catch, and I didn't hear anyone immediately behind me. So I just kind of—did
0: you look over your shoulder?
1: I—I'm sure I must have. I'm sure. Oh, what what you can see is at the turnaround. Right. That's how I know I can see who's coming. So at the turnaround, I think there is a boat. Two, two or three K left or so. And so I could see, okay, I've got to, I just got to keep my shit together for another couple kilometers and not let that girl, not let that girl make gains on me. So,
0: and did you, that. did it creep into your mind at all that a top 10 finish at a world championship race or a marathon major equals Lindsay is going to the Olympics?
1: Just, well, it doesn't it still doesn't mean okay, like it's i know still, i know it but yeah, it, mean, but, okay. it means,
0: but it means and it, it means that you are you have the dance card you have the um you have a a a tentative rsvp with the olympics next year you just have to like you have to do, jump through a few more hoops but you you're you're way closer than you were before the race. Like you, there was no guarantee at all. In fact, it was like anything outside of the top ten was a real question mark, right?
1: Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah.
0: So did, did, did you think about that while you were running?
1: No, no, I didn't. Like I thought, it wasn't until I actually crossed the finish line, and I was defeated by Sasha Golish. And she told me that I like she confirmed I was ninth, and that that was Olympic standard. And I just that was just a little too much for my my brain to comprehend at the time. I was too busy being excited about they lit off fireworks at the end, and everyone's like, "How are you smiling at the end of the race?" Well, there were fireworks there. I've never had fireworks <laughs> before, <laughs> oh, wow. so I know <laughs> I'm usually amused. <laughs> um, and it's all. Of that, it's almost like I'm, I'm sort of rejecting any of that information at this point because everything that has happened to this point has still been a lot for me to take in personally. Maybe I'm being a baby about it, or like, but it just—it's just this complete lack of experience and an exposure to anything like this that it's—I'm still when I say I'm still digesting and processing it all, I really am. I really truly am. That's not lip service. It's I'm so excited. Like I've been out for a couple of runs. I, I noticed since, you know, since I've been back, I've been running and that's kind of when I have not sat down, but when I thought about I've replayed the race in my mind when I'm running or, you know, started to think about, the other implications of coming top 10 but much past those little 30 40 minute runs i don't it's it's now sort of back to work and got to see also what happens in scotia bank like i just i think there are so many friggin' fast women right now that nothing is guaranteed or like nothing it, anything's possible. So I haven't, I won't really open my mind too much to that until I see how other things play out as well.
0: So pretty quick turnaround. You finished your race. What did you do for celebration? What does one do for celebration in Doha? I guess you can't go out and get a, uh, <sighs> a glass of red wine very easily.
1: No, no, you cannot. Um, I have since I've been home, but um <laughs> So we have to go through the mix zone, which is new new to me. Uh, where you I was, we're interviewed, I guess, through these like this mix zone. I, and so we did. I did a couple of interviews right off the finish line, and then there's doping control. So right. that's the very very unpleasant part of.
0: They're asking you to pee after you ran through a yeah. 43 degrees Celsius yeah. marathon.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that—that's that's more exceptional than actually running the forty-two <laughs> kilometers in the heat. Like you—you you want me to produce fluid? Like that's not Back. happening. Yeah. Yeah. So I also wondered Like went, we had no come in and um, just we chatted a little bit. It was really nice just to see Mel and catch up with the team because you're just so grateful to you like, Trent is your your face that you look for on the course because he's giving you your food and Jerry and everyone so we had a little chat and stuff there and then yeah, over to Dope and Control. I didn't get home probably until I think it was 7 in the morning. Oh man, how Yeah, weird. Yeah, we saw the sun saw the sun come up (laughs) which was actually quite beautiful but it was yeah it really puts you out of sorts so celebrating I tried to sleep a little bit but there's there's quite a there's quite a high just in your own mind about what the hell that just happened and um there wasn't to be honest there wasn't too much celebrating celebrating was just taking a shower and like talking to the other athletes who, who are competing or like, and just catching up and not having that, um, the marathon on your shoulder anymore. Like I found my conversations with people were a lot more, (laughs) I was a lot more tuned in when I didn't have to, when I wasn't when the backdrop, wasn't always worrying about this marathon. That was just kind of a pleasure to do. I didn't have the marathon looming over my
0: head. I, I, Got my hands on a interesting set of statistics that I believe were compiled by Trent Stellingworth um, after the race um, uh-huh. that were basically, I'm not sure if you've seen this, but he took every athlete in the field, mm-hmm. uh, took their PB, and then uh-huh. took their time from the Doa race. And mm-hmm. then did a percentage of their PB, what the time was from Doha. So obviously right. everyone was over a hundred percent pretty much. I mean, no, absolutely yeah. everyone was. Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, you were third overall in terms of like performance, the spread between the perfor- your your PB and your performance in Doha, which is what? pretty amazing. Yeah. So like what you- number two, like the the top overall performer in terms of like, the smallest percentage between their PB and their finishing time in Doa was um, the the silver medalist Rose Chilimo, and she okay. was one hundred and six point six one percent of her PB. And then okay. Roberta Groner uh, yeah. was also one hundred six one hundred six one hundred six sixty five. And then then you are sitting there. Then you are number three one
1: hundred seven forty seven. No. Way yeah
0: yeah so you're like you had the third one could describe it as the third most intelligent run at the world championships
1: no way yeah. i i haven't seen that oh wow
0: i'll forward it to you it's oh, pretty nuts yeah that's it's pretty cool, cool. Yeah. thanks
1: yeah
0: yeah so there you go <laughs> there you go you ran you said you wanted to run a smart race and not embarrass I did, yourself i did you
1: yeah i did yeah ran
0: the third smartest race of anyone in, in the world championships
1: so wow
0: Wow. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> so I, gotta, I guess you, from here, you just kind of, uh, you, I guess you don't know what to do next. You, There could be a race in Tokyo awaiting you next summer, but you got to figure out what you're going to do in between then.
1: Yeah. I, it gets a little, a little mucky right now. Like I know I'll probably do some turnkeys or half just to keep the fitness sharp. But, um, you know, do I have to do another spring marathon? We don't, I don't think we're going to, um, to try to sort of qualify, requalify. I don't know. I know. Um, you'd prefer not
0: because you're not a spring marathon not. person. You don't typically like not. doing a spring marathon.
1: No, I don't. I don't. Um, cause I can't go anywhere. I can't travel because of work. Right. And um,
0: the whole job so, thing you have, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I, it's not ideal. I can't imagine getting the quality runs in the training in that I do in the summer, just for the you know temperatures alone and the terrain alone. Like winter running is hard, so hard on the body, I find, and it really. um, compromises the quality of running that you can actually do. I mean, you can get through it, but it's just not the same as summer, for me, anyway. Um, so then it comes, it becomes, if I'm, you know, if Olympics, I can't say these words. Right? got to get to If Tokyo is something that is going to be on the table, I think the team is not named until June 3rd.
0: Yeah, which is so tough for a marathon runner because, like, I mean, I get it because all you have to wait until in Canada it would be Ottawa is at the very end of May. It's the last weekend in May, and that's a it's a big race, and a lot of top level Canadians run it. So it's sort of the yeah. last chance for romance, right? It's like right, yeah, last kick at the can, yeah, and then after There's that, thing- dust settles on that, and then it's okay time to pick the team.
1: Yeah, but then. If I'm to approach this, um, that I would be going to Tokyo, then I would need to start a build in May, and then I have to sort of make arrangements, or like to start the build May, June, July, yeah, I have to make sort of arrangements with school. You
0: start calling in sick every day.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have this sniffles that last several months. Um, just just because if it would be you know all other marathons I can justify working through other races I can I can work and juggle both but if, if it were to be something like something like the Olympics <laughs> then I would yeah I would need to not I would have to give it absolutely everything I have which cannot be sort of divided with like with school, between school, just the hours alone and then the potential for illness with the children right. is really, really high. So, you're dealing
0: with like, what, like seven-year-olds?
1: Eight-year-olds, eight yeah. 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 Really huggy children. <laughs> right.
0: Like little Petri dishes hugging oh, you every
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I love them, but I don't, my training doesn't love them. So I would have to, I don't know. I don't, I haven't, that's another thing that I haven't. Wrapped my head around just yet.
0: Right. So when you walked into, because you, your first day back at school was today. today.
1: Yeah. So we're talking on Monday. Yes.
0: So you walk yeah. back into school and you like chat with the high school, with the, sorry, not high school, the, the elementary school principal, your boss. Yeah. And you're like, or your administrator, and you're like, so <laughs> the Olympics are next year. <laughs>
1: Yeah, they you may everybody have, to have
0: a conversation.
1: <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh, I'm still getting I'm still, you know, kissing the box for letting me have like just the last few weeks off to, for in Doha. Um now I'm going to have to ask another favor. Jeez. But um yeah, yeah, I'll cross that bridge. I'll give it I'll give some time for this dust to settle, but everyone's been extremely supportive. Of what I'm doing and what I've done, and um, yeah, going back to school today was it was great because it's like going back home. that's where I'm very comfortable. Like two places I'm really comfortable in my classroom and on a race course. Like I think the reason I was, you know, so happy running during like the marathon is because. I was quite uncomfortable for no no other reason but my own issues, you know, with being in Barcelona and then being in the Doha Hotel or the hotel in Doha and seeing all of these countries and the people that I watch on television. Here I am sharing an elevator with them. Like, it was very... It's sort of intimidating situation for me but then when I get on the race course it's like ah like then there like that's where I'm comfortable and then so I think I was just so relieved to be racing and just let's get on with this and do do what I love and do what I'm here to do and do what I'm comfortable doing so yeah so going back to school at the point it was very like it was it was wonderful a relief to get back there I could do without the early mornings, but um, all in all, I'm thrilled to be back, back to regular life.
0: Do you know, just in closing here, do you know what the uh, temperature was and when you were running?
1: It said, feels like 44. Oh. I actually, the day of, I didn't check the weather and I didn't want to know the weather, what it was, because why bother? Why bother? Like th- th- your head can do a whole lot with that, and it did. I was a total. I was a pretty big mess. Like I think pretty composed in general, um, but I was unraveling a bit. And when we arrived in Doha, and for the next forty-eight hours, I was not in a good place. Just I had hyped it up in my head, and it was it was really hot. Like really. Oppressively hot, and I thought, how you know, can I? I can't do a twenty-minute shakeout without dripping. How am I going to run race in this? So, um, oh, I lost my train of. <laughs> it's okay. past my
0: bedtime. I so know. I lost- We're gonna let you go now. We went way over. Um, yeah. Last question. Okay, so f- at least for now, what's the one? Okay, you're on that course. It's dark. It's this weird seven k loop that you be- kind of becomes your like strange home for a couple of hours.
1: Good way to put it, yeah.
0: That's it. What's the thing that's going to linger in your mind? What's the image? The what's the moment? The Picture. What's there?
1: There, there are two extremely memorable moments. There's one when i was i don't remember what kilometer it was but i was running i was by myself and i became really like i think there was a, a japanese woman running with me for a while and her footsteps were annoying me like it was just her and i for a bit and her i found her her cadence through no fault of her own like you're just pretty irritable and then she was gone and then i could just hear like the the my I have the the Nike five percent, not to sound like douchey or anything, but five percent. Um, yeah, or the next percent. The next percent. Me, the next right. percent. Sorry, it is. four or five. Exactly yeah. like tack on a little
0: percentage <laughs> point every year.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um I keep, there's a beautiful sound that those shoes make. And I thought like and I ran and I just hit that sort of euphoric moment that you get in, in running or racing sometimes and I had it along there and it was, it was dark and it was quiet and I could just hear my shoes and I will live for that moment. And then I get seeing my friends from, from home. Like we're talking about my best friend from kindergarten. So if there's anyone that's going to comfort me and know that, you know, sink or swim, I'm going to be loved by my friends regardless. Like I got to see them so many. I would, I would love, they were so comforting to see them every time I looped around on the course and yeah so those are the those are the big memories that stick out for sure
0: one last thought one last thing that I just thought of as you're saying that this is the first time you've ever put on a Canadian kit a Canadian singlet uh um, yes. Canadian gear yes did you try it on beforehand? When did they give it to you? Did you try it on in the hotel room beforehand? Did you look in the standing yeah. look at yourself in the mirror or is it just like race day you're putting it on?
1: Yeah, no, it was in it was sitting on our bed like our like a, the Canada gear and then the actual kit and I I took it out um, I laid it out on the couch we had that there's a sofa in the room and I was looking at it and I burst into tears. I, I thought, "Oh my god, thank God Natasha left but I just started to cry I felt kind of silly, but I didn't dare, I didn't dare put it on until race day. And that was, uh, those are just some some more um, amazing memories that I will get to keep, like no matter what happens and truly so grateful for them, for sure.
0: Well, on that, we'll, uh, we'll leave it there until uh, until after Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thanks so much to Lindsay Tessier for chatting with me this week. Make sure to subscribe to the XC newsletter so you get things like this every week, The uh, thexc.substack.com. And also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at thexc.org. It's t h e x c o r g. And thanks for listening and uh, keep an eye out for our features and podcasts coming to in your inbox in the very near future.